I was always very modest, really didn't think of myself as being particularly smart or unusual. I just thought I was more interested in certain topics than other people, but that sometimes I find a technical subject just becomes absolutely fascinating to me. I can't think about anything else. When you learn a new computer technology, you can immediately put it to work by writing the software and be able to do things you couldn't do before. That I'm amazingly productive during these times. I can write amount of software programs that would take a normal person months and months to write and I can just do it in a few days because I'm so excited and driven and obsessed with it. It's always been something unique that I've had. That was a lot of what has made me decide to work with computers because that is what I have done throughout my career. The rule breakers. The rule breakers. The misfits. The misfits. Not the status quo. The status quo. This is. This is. Thriller lining. This past weekend, I recorded with my best friend, Kyle. He runs uh, PlubLab. He's a CEO of PlubLab. And even though I technically work alongside of him, I thought it would be interesting to like interview him. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but I wanted to understand what he deals with on a daily basis. I mean, I kind of feel like I know most of it already, but... There were some things in this interview where I learned, I was like, wow, this guy really puts a lot on his shoulders. This episode, especially, I learned how much he cares, right? There's something to be said about somebody who cares so much that they're willing to put their neck out there for other people, even when you think that it's the wrong thing to do, or maybe they're doing too much, or maybe they're just should stop. But Kyle, he cares that much. He thinks this space could move forward and he wants to help foster that growth. And I think this interview kind of captures that. You, you kind of see the swings that uh, we went through. And you also kind of hear like the winds, if you can call them that. Maybe they're just like momentous occasions. I had a great time recording this. I get to hang out with my friend for what? I think we recorded for like an hour and a half. It's only about 50 minutes of this that I actually used. The rest of it was really boring. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think you all are going to enjoy it. Kyle's a fascinating guy and um, I've learned a lot from him. Definitely. And Kyle, I know you're listening. I love you, brother. I hope you enjoy this episode. 
shit we're just getting started and like it's really cool that like we have this opportunity to kind of build something we know is valuable for the people we believe it's valuable for that's great but from the inside looking in i have only just gotten started like i have barely scratched the surface of the value i believe that we as a team can provide for this developer community and for bitcoin and for austin but we've got a lot more of the work and the work ethic to put behind it to make something that I think truly benefits the world at large. How do you feel, man? I'm feeling pretty good. It's been a long week, honestly. Why? Ah, oh, the markets are shit, which kind of all went down with this whole like Terra Luna and the like kind of general standard marketplace crash all at once. Like right as we started pushing out raise paperwork for Pleb Lab. Um, so, does it add more stress to you or? Yeah, it does because investors are suddenly kind of sitting in this place where maybe they're not 100% spooked out of investing, but they're kind of sitting in this place of like, holy shit, what's going on? Let's sit around until we kind of figure it out, which on like a longer term time frame, I'm not really all that concerned. I think if you're like a company that's series A, series B, I'd probably be more concerned about where we're at with the really? marketplace, why it, right? Why is that for? Because Series A, Series B companies, these some of these companies that are like, they have currently like, they raised all their money through boom times, like through fucking markets just flush with cash, right? Everybody's just throwing money around. And now a lot of these companies still haven't really delivered a whole lot. And all of a sudden they're in a recession in a bear market with an eye-watering valuation and very little delivered. Oh, so you're saying they're playing from... They're going to go into their next round with very little delivered in a tight market for really big checks. Companies like us and like the companies we work with who like don't have a valuation yet, it's a lot easier. Like it's, they're still in this like immediate short term where we sit right now. They're still kind of like the, 
let's let's slow down and kind of see what's going on. Let's like figure out what's happening in the markets and like let's kind of reevaluate how we're thinking about our investment, right? So in the short, short term, there's like a pause. There's kind of like an immediate pullback. The investors are all spooked a bit. I think things will settle into, I I don't think the markets are about to get significantly better. I would anticipate that they're gonna continue to go down and potentially get worse. So I think it's gonna take a bit of time for the kind of new normal to set in where it's not endless money printing and markets just flush with cash. So maybe a small window of time where it's gonna take some time to get used to that new normal. I think if that is the new normal, if, if they do not turn the printers back on immediately and just start flooding the marketplace with more cash, that new normal is going to be difficult for companies that raised during those boom times. It'll be less significantly impactful for companies like the ones we work with. Do you think it was smart for some of these other companies that we know that raised their uh, pre-seed last year for like really small amounts? Do you think that was the right move for them? How does it affect those type of projects? I think, I think either way, like pre-seed is typically always small. Even if they went on the large end of a pre-seed raise, like Stacker News raised 300,000. If Stacker News has gone out and raised 1.5 million, Stacker News would still be fine because all of Stacker News' numbers are still straight up. Like every metric Stacker News has and tracks, like 10 charts, up and to the right, up and to the right, up and to the right. So with like a small valuation, with only small amounts of capital ever having been invested, 1.5 million included, like if if he had 5X'd his initial round, his numbers still look great relative to the balance sheet and the valuation. So yeah, I don't think it really matters. I think the the thought process of like whether you raised 300,000 or whether you raised 1.2 million dollars, like pre-seed is in and of itself by the very nature of a pre-seed typically relatively small with a relatively small valuation. Handful of exceptions, but we haven't worked with anybody I would consider an exception. Yeah, it's kind of weird how like this week was that I mean, just being here in Austin, you can just feel it in both places. And I say both like the Bitcoin Commons and here at uh, Pleb Lab, and then even like we go to Shiners or something, everybody's talking about stuff and just kind of understand like what's going on in the space right now. And just the feeling that I get is like, everybody's just kind of like head down, really working. And it's interesting how that just all happened this week for a lot, for a lot of people. Or maybe we just weren't seeing it enough. What do you think? I mean, it feels like we've been heads down working for a year. Um, I feel like we've been surrounded by people who've been heads down working for a year. I think the, the, I think the cultural narrative around heads down working is becoming more prominent in the last 10 days because heads down working and like learning to work with less is a cultural talking point that has become associated with what happens during recessions and bear markets, right? These companies that are going to go out and raise, these companies that are going to come out of the fucking woods during this market environment we're in, companies that we don't even know about yet, 
things get built in bear markets, things get built in recessions, and those things tend to be resilient companies because they get built in down times. They get built when there isn't a frothy marketplace. They get built when there isn't tons of money being thrown around endlessly. And the companies that come up in those environments, when we shift into boom times, dude, it's gonna be really good because they're already gonna be really well established, really resilient, and like really kind of scrappy companies. So I think what's happened is less an actual transition. I think we've seen a lot of people, especially in Austin, coming to Austin to really get heads down and grind out and work. Uh, I think we're just, we're seeing a return to the conversation about what happens and what gets built in the times that are less yeah. uh, like overly done. Because that's where we've been since the start of this pandemic. We've just been in like a, a genuinely overhyped, overflushed with cash, like non-realistic environment. We haven't seen real markets. And, and I don't even know if during this recession we'll see real markets, but we're gonna see, I would say, closer to real markets in a recession bear market than we've seen over the last 18 months. Right. So we had um, Lightning Ventures reach out and um, no, they did more than reach out. Yeah, but I want to let's let's rewind back to probably like was it six months ago? I always get these dates wrong. Like, when did they actually reach out first? Do you remember? First time I ever really remember talking to the guys at Lightning Ventures would have been right around the time of the Oshi Block Party, okay. which would have been what, December, oh. early December. Right. And so, like, what was it about like Muzz, Nate sharing like? All those people that are, I mean, are, are they are they seeing things like differently than everybody else that you've talked to? Or do you think that they're just really bullish on the team that we have here at Club Lab? What do you think it is? Hmm, that's a great question. Because um, they're the first, they're the first investment into Club Lab. And I know, I know, and we don't have to talk about like who else you've talked to, but like they're the ones that actually like came out and just like, to their credit, like invested, first investment in, right? Like that's that's huge. Yeah, their first skin in the game for Pleb Lab as an investor is concerned. What do you think that, why do you think that was? Besides, you know, what we know, but like, what do you think to the greater thing like that happened in December? Do you think, do you think December when we had the Bitcoin block party, do you think that was something that was like a pivotal moment? I know it was for me. I think in general, the Bitcoin block party was maybe not pivotal. Maybe it is pivotal. I mean, it definitely changed the way things went forward for Pleb Lab. Um, I think we were, we were doing cool things and I think we were inevitably on the path that we were on. We, we, we had a strong vision we had a strong work ethic. We knew what we were building, why we were building it, and who we were building it for. So I think we would have been fine regardless. Um, and, and honestly, the block party wasn't even really deeply intertwined with any of that. The, the block party didn't have anything to do with what we were building 
who we were building it for or why we were building it. It was a kind of a spin-off event that was much more in line with the first thing we built, Austin Bitcoin Club. It, the block party was much more community-oriented at large than developer community-oriented, which is what Pleb Lab does. Um, and it was like it was a good moment to highlight a company inside of Pleb Lab, but it wasn't really Pleb Lab, right? That being said, 600 people attended that event, and 600 people associated it with Pleb Lab. Maybe more people associated it with Oshi, but Pleb Lab definitely had its name attached to the success of that event. And I think it got a lot of people across Bitcoin talking about what was happening inside of Pleb Lab and Austin in general. To the point of like Lightning Ventures at that time frame, that was around the first time I met with Muzz and the team at Lightning Ventures. I would say Block Party maybe, to some small extent, played a role in the Lightning Ventures kind of outside looking in at Pleb Lab, kind of like, okay, what are these guys up to? But I think it was really when we sat down and talked, when we had an opportunity to see each other's eyes, to shake hands and to really dive into what we were building and why we were building it and who we were building it for, that I think Muzz in particular, kind of really just clicked with me on a personal level of like, hey man, look, this is really early. You guys don't have a track record. You guys don't come from a tech or a financial background or any of it, but there's something here. And Muzz made it very clear very early on that he believed there was something here with me. Like his initial reaction was always like, I don't, I know you guys don't have all of these like credentials, but meeting you, getting to know you, shaking your hand and looking at what you're building to actually come and immerse myself in what you're building, it became clear to Muzz, at least the way he expressed it to me, that we were gonna get this done. He just believed in us, the team, and that was what started the fucking progression of our relationship with the team at Lightning Ventures. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating because when I when I look back at that time, like I just re, re, I just recently met somebody um, that I had met that evening who was like we both know we won't have to say his name, but he came up to us um, that evening and he had a sign like all the pamphlets, the liaison mask, like and I remember like afterwards thinking like like why are you asking us to sign this stuff? Like I don't understand, and like I remember I will never forget what he told me. He's like he's like car. What you and Kyle are doing here, this is uh, this is like a pivotal moment, and people will look back and look at this as the start. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm probably gonna hang on to this. He called it memorabilia at the time, and I remember thinking like, oh, okay, I can't pick that up. Like, I just don't want to believe that. So I saw him fast forward. I saw him again here recently in Kerrville, and uh, we were just kind of like just chatting about and everything. He's like. He, he like came out to me and I didn't even bring it up. He's like, didn't I tell you? Like, didn't I tell you this was what was going to happen? And I was like, yeah, you can't keep telling me that stuff. I don't want to hear that stuff. Like, I just want to focus. But at the same time, I didn't understand how, how impactful 
that was to the entire like communities out there, just like watching from afar and um, for him to drive down and actually participate in it and then drive down again in Kerrville to actually have that conversation with me for like an hour. I was kind of like just taken back by like, oh wow, like what we're doing is like creating waves and I guess it's I guess it's a good thing because it's letting people know that you can do anything as a pleb as long as you put your mind to it and you execute and you work hard. I think to your point it's it's important to like to not want to let yourself get too inflated by the ideas or the beliefs of the people around you, right? Like the, the whole mantra of stack sats and stay humble, right? Like it's easy to let yourself just have a, an inflated ego. If, if like every day somebody's like coming up to you and, and telling you that like this thing you're working on is legendary and this thing that you're doing is this and this thing that you're doing is that and they want your signatures because it's going to be memorabilia. I'm like, it's all really easy to let all of that go to your head. But man, if you were to let all of that go to your head, like it's also really easy to stop putting in the hard work. Because right. it's really easy to just be like, well, fuck it. We've already built something amazing. Like, look at me. I'm king of the fucking world. And at the end of the day, I haven't built shit. We're just getting started. Like, it's really cool that, like, we have this opportunity to kind of build something we know is valuable for the people we believe it's valuable for. And that's great. But from the inside looking in, I have only just gotten started. Like I have barely scratched the surface of the value I believe that we as a team can provide for this developer community and for Bitcoin and for Austin. So like I appreciate what people see and I'm, I'm glad to know that people are already seeing value in the work that we are putting in. Right. But I don't want to like believe that we've already built something momentous because I haven't. I have, like in my mind, we are just literally like we're in our infancy, man. Like it doesn't feel like we have built something momentous. I know that there is something momentous in what we have in our vision, but we've got a lot more of the work and the work ethic to put behind it to make something that I think truly benefits the world at large. Yeah, that's one thing I, I would say, like, I tell you this all the time, like, it's real easy for me to, like, start things. Like, I've always been able to start things, but it's always, it was always been difficult for me to, like, actually, like, follow through with them and, like, keep them going and, and like, staying consistent and just, like, bringing it every day. I would say you do bring that out of me where, like, I can get something going and, and keep going, but you have you have such like laser, no pun intended, you have laser focused eyes on like, no, we have to do this day in, day out, day in, day out. And it's like, and sometimes you literally have to drag me to say like, okay, this is what we need to do. And that's one thing I would say that's like, and I think you ask any regular pleb in Austin, they would all agree that, that you really are like a, kind of like that, that, that leader that we need to keep pushing forward when we don't want to push forward. Well, what do, you, what do you think that, what do you think you have? I know obviously your military background, but what do you think that is? Cause I talked to your mom and she says, she tells me the, the craziest stories. So it's like, do well, you, I think, you think that's something that you have that all the time? No, I think it's fascinating that you see that and that maybe the community sees that. But to be honest, that's new for me. Um, really? Yeah, it's brand new. How? 
How is that possible? Because I've never had something that made sense to me the way that this thing makes sense to me. And I've never had a community that has been as willing and able to organize behind or beside that um, belief the way that the Bitcoin community has. I've, I've had a laser focus, if you will, for a really long time on building a business. I've always had inclinations of being entrepreneurial. So in that sense, I've been entrepreneurial my whole life. But I'd never actually landed on a thing that kept me truly focused, engaged, and, and like passionate about what it was I was working on. It would be like one week of this thing, two weeks of an idea of this thing. Maybe like the longest thing I ever did was a year of like, okay, I'm gonna go do like backpacking around the world and try and become like a, an, an influencer, like travel vlogger, blogger type, right? But even that after a year, it was just like, this is not what I wanna do with the rest of my life. Bitcoin is fundamentally different. It gave me something so much bigger than myself. And that's, I think, the key difference is that everything else I've done has always been, okay, I'm trying to find a business and that business is like my business. It's gonna be about me. PlebLab isn't about me. Like, it'd be great if PlebLab made me some money, but I didn't start Austin Bitcoin Club. Well, that's not true. I started Austin Bitcoin Club slightly selfishly. I just wanted to hang out with Bitcoiners more often. But the Bitcoiners that showed up were like, we want this. And then we started building that. And that, I think, is really where it started to take root, is that, holy shit, I am now building something that wasn't mine. I didn't ask for it. I didn't want it. It wasn't my idea. It was everyone else's. I just saw a place where I could use skill sets I had to create something that they wanted. Right. And that's what's kept me laser focused right now is that every day I wake up and I already have something that is bigger than me and I have other people's interests and I have other people's like livelihoods and I have other people's lives literally like on my shoulders. The, the last time I've had anything remotely close was the military and even in the military it was like a thing that was kind of forced upon me. I couldn't get out of it if I wanted to until I could. And when I did have the opportunity, I was way ready to get out of there. I did what I had to do when I had to do it. Bitcoin is the first thing in my entire life where it's like, I don't have to do this. I could leave tomorrow. I could, I could get up and quit. I could go back to Pittsburgh and just like get a job at a coffee shop and live with my wife. It'd be great. But I don't want to because I deeply, deeply, deeply care about what I'm working on, why I'm working on it, and the people that are a part of it. 100%.
what's going on with this? Uh, you said wife earlier on. <laughs> what's going on, dude? Here we go. Just no, no, because you you mentioned it the other day on PBS, and I was like, oh, you probably didn't, you probably didn't give her the um, the attention she needed. But like, w tell me about her. Like, tell me about her. Like, w w what did you? You don't have to say how, how you met her and stuff, but like, what do you? Um, yeah, what is what is it like to fall in love? It has been wild, dude. I honestly always thought that I was basically complete and whole and that what I was looking for was someone else who was complete and whole and that we would just meet one another and it would be this like, okay, great, now we're just gonna do that together. And I realized in meeting her that that's like partially true and yet at the same time, I was not complete. Like my life was missing something before her that no longer feels like it's missing. Like I didn't know it was missing until I found it. And then I found it and I was like, holy shit, I was missing this. And now I'm not missing it. And it's like, I found all of that all at once. And it was just like this crazy overwhelming transition in my life where Again, I found something that makes my life feel like it's bigger than just me. Yeah, it's a beautiful feeling, man. It has, that's beautiful, it's a good word for it. I think, for, I think uh, just like thinking back like of my Fiat lifestyle a year ago, <laughs> um, it's just like a lot's changed, dude. Just like personally and then just like, you know, just uh, the world around me. And I used to dream, Kyle, I used to dream when I was like working my Fiat jobs throughout the years was like, man, if I can just get up every morning and create, if I can just like create for like just a full day of just like doing whatever I wanted, be as creative as I want, any canvas, any medium. Like I used to dream about that. I remember thinking like when I would push tickets and like, you know, do all the Cisco stuff, I was just like, man, but if I can just get that job where I can just like, you know, just be be an artist and just do whatever I want on any canvas. I like, I used to dream about that. I used to be the dream, dude. And then when I started working with Marty, that was a dream come true. Cause I was like, oh, cool. Now I can go and like, just like do this one thing that I love, which is like podcasting and audio production and just like and video and stuff. And then when we started building out the Plub Lab thing, it was just like, oh, now, like this is a way bigger canvas to like create with and create on. And, and to your credit, like early on, you always like push me like, okay, Car, you have free reign to like do whatever you think is necessary as far as like your creative vision for it. And I'm just like, to me, that was like, when I would work with other people, it was always just like a no, 
a no or like uh, maybe not. But to your credit, you've always just been like, no, push it, go for it. Like, here we go. We're going to ride or die with whatever you have as, as the vision for it. I'm just like, to me, I just thought that was like pretty cool, pretty, pretty cool thing that you have about your character. Would you, I think you do that to everybody too. I think it's just me. I really try my best to like know my strengths and my weaknesses, right? And one of my strengths is people. But in that strength, I understand that it's the people that I put together and bring together that allow me to focus on securing my weaknesses through their strengths, right? Like, I'm not the artist, you're the artist. So why am I gonna get in the way of the artist with my lack of knowledge and my lack of skill in a field that's not my strength? I'll, I'll, I'll like give it a final look over when the art is done, but what am I gonna do in the, like the flow of the art? That's, it's not my strength. So I've really tried my best with everything we've done here to allow the people that have their strengths to, to run with them, right? To like give them the opportunity to, to focus on their strengths and to grow into their strengths. And I also do my best to put those people with other people who support those strengths, right? Like you meeting Alex is not a coincidence that both of you have gotten stronger in your art together. Um, and, and yeah, and that's just like, that's kind of the way I, I think an effective team operates. The best way to have an effective team is to like understand organizational structure, to understand who has what roles and to lean into each other's strengths and support each other in the weaknesses, right? Like me and you are a perfect, me, you and Keon at Club Lab are a perfect example of that. Each one of us comes from a unique background with a unique set of skills and a unique way of looking at the world. And I think, at least I, I feel in the first nine months of our existence, um, those kind of unique dynamics that we each bring to the table counterbalance one another really well. And I think it's the reason that we're here. I would not be able to build Pleb Lab without you or Keon. That's it's facts, dude. I think, uh, I think that's kind of the, I think that's kind of the coolest thing is like, when we first, we first met and then building Austin Bitcoin Club and then going from that to Pleb Lab, like it was always Keon kind of like the, the guy behind the scenes no one really knows about, but like if they only realized how next level this dude is, and, and, and he's just not like, like next level, he's just like completely like a space odyssey kind of guy. Like he's just, he's just out there with ideas and um, I love him for that because he's always gonna, you're gonna give him something, he's like, well, what about this car? <laughs> and it's completely the other side of it, but it makes you kind of look at it because he like flips it, turns it upside down rotates it into this and it's just like wow that's like perfect he does have a really unique skill set of i mean at least with me i mean i'm sure our dynamic because me and you are both different people the way that we interact and like get value from keon's friendship are, are different um but that being said he he does have a very unique ability of like taking things that are stuck in my mind where like i'm between the rock and the hard place 
and I just don't know any other ways to look at it. And uh, he so easily seems to be able to take that and be like, what about this? And it's like, it's like immediate. It's like, here's this thing that I'm like, I'm, I'm been stuck on this for like a week and I can just like throw it out to Keon because I'm just like, I don't know what else to do with it at this point. And within a matter of moments, I have two, three, four, five different ways to look at it. And, mm-hmm. and like a very clear, like, okay, here are like five ways you could look at it. And this is probably the way that I would approach it. And here's why. And it's like, man, it gives me a lot to work with. It's like, I, I can go from like completely stuck to like, here's five different ways to view it. Here's the way I would probably go forward with it. And here's why. And just like that five minute analysis, I'm like, fuck. All right. I'm no, I just, not only am I not stuck, I've got like a week worth of things to think about. Thank you. And I like that. I'm like his whole, like, I'll give you five hours a week. His deal for like, <laughs> his like, all right, my involvement with Pleb Lab is five hours a week. And I'm just like, at first I was like, man, what an ass. But it's like, I've never come close to taking five hours of Keon's time in a week because I get insane amounts of value out of 10 to 15 minutes with him. I, me and Keon tend to link up on 16 three or four times a week. And those three or four times a week tend to range from 10 to 20 minutes. And I get everything I need out of Keon every week in that 45 minutes. It's nuts. But it's great. Yeah. He's pretty, uh, he's pretty exceptional. I think that was like a really smart move, getting the, getting the, the dev in this triangle offense that we're running. <laughs> it's... I mean, that's really to your credit, I would have never thought about it, which is fascinating because again, I just outlined how I'm like the team builder. That's my skill set. But in this particular instance, I remember having some pushback against it. I was like, dude, I don't, I like, I remember saying yes, but not feeling happy about the fact. Oh, really? Split equity three ways versus two. I didn't feel that way. I know you did. You were very strong about bringing Keon on, and that's no, what I'm I don't saying. Mean that. I mean, I don't. I didn't feel that you were throwing that off. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I kept it internal, but I didn't want to. When you pitched the idea, I was like, I don't like the idea of splitting my equity a third partner. Like, why? It's unnecessary. And and like in hindsight, boy, was it worth the like 16% equity that I gave <laughs> up because. I would not be, I, we, would have, we would have burned to the ground a long time ago had we not brought Keon into this project. Yeah, and I think it has more to do with just like my background. Like, cause you know, I, I come from like a, a, a tech background, you know, also an artist background. But like when I was uh, working for uh, the, the company I used to work for here in Austin, uh, I saw that private company go from like, you know, a million dollars a year revenue to like, nine, 10, 11 million. And then it became, then it got bought out. Like I saw that run up and I was a part of that progress and it was a tight group. It was like maybe 15, 18 people. And so I remember like looking to the, the president at the time and like asking him direct questions about how this worked and why you have this structure built inside, inside the company and to, to Bill's credit, like he taught me a lot. And I remember when I had, had, uh, had actually, I think I told you, like I reached out to him last year after we had built Austin Bitcoin Club and I was doing Thriller Bitcoin and I was kind of telling him like, where should I lean on? And when I had that conversation with him, he was literally saying like, Carr, I know you want to make Thriller Bitcoin work, but I don't think it happens without 
what you're doing with Austin Bitcoin Club. So you need to put more time and effort. And like he literally told me like what to do. And so when we when I came back that week, I like put more time and effort into Austin Bitcoin Club. And then out of that came Club Lab. And I remember like when we were conversating about it, I was like, yeah, it was just clear as day to me. I, I was like, I don't think we could do it with just me and you. I think we would need somebody who's just as like, just as good, if not better, in this other skill set that we have no idea about. And it was just running the triangle offense. And that's literally what he, that's literally what my mentor Bill did in my last job is like he had him, you know, at the top. And then he had his like person who was like his creative. And then he had the person who was like his, um, his tech genius. And it was just very much a similar style offense. And that's why I was like, okay, like this is how you do it. And then the other thing that he taught me was about building your own brand, building your own culture within that company and making it stand out. Like, don't be afraid to just like make noise, even if you feel like no one else is going to get it. But if you get it internally, that like, that's all that matters. How do you think we're doing with culture? I don't know. I, I try not to focus too much on it. And I, I will tell you this. And, and the reason I don't focus too much on it, because if you focus too much on what the culture that you're creating and you try to have like a, a, you try to have a hand on it and try to control, I guess, the quote unquote, like narrative of the culture you're building, I think that's the wrong way to do it. And instinctively, I think for me, when I see it, I look at my community. I talk to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of creatives. And it's like, this is why, to Marty's credit, this is where I learned from Marty is just like, you kind of just have to let things kind of play out. And then when they play out, they'll just naturally fit or they naturally won't fit. And, I, and that's where I feel like a lot of people in this space probably don't realize that, right? It's like they, they don't let things kind of just play out. They try to force things. And I, I learned this. I learned that from Marty 100% because Marty's like, people don't, I mean, we talk about this often. Marty's a genius when it comes to, all sorts of things. But in that particular skill set, like letting things play out and just like really being patient and giving people the time and touch points that they need to like, you know, push that sale in, in, a, in a different direction. It doesn't take much, literally like one, two degree turn. And like, that's something I learned from Marty. And I think that's what it goes back into the culture is just like, let it happen naturally. The more you can get in that flow state that he talks about is like the best thing. I mean, I think what, our initial mission was with Austin Bitcoin Club. I think a lot of the Pleb Lab culture is a crossover from that vision, which ties into what you just said. Like a lot of that was just very go with the flow and let it be natural, right? But but stems from that backbone of just like this is about community, right. and like and Pleb Lab is is it takes community and it niches it down a bit, going into the developer community. But at the core of the culture, it's just about community. And if we just let that go with the flow, just like be a part of the community, don't, don't try and be the leaders of the community, just be a part of the community. Like that's, I think what we've tried to do. And I think that it, uh, I, don't, I, I can't speak for the community, but it's been immensely valuable for me to be a part of this community and I like, I can't thank the people that are a part of my community enough for allowing me the opportunity to be here and be a part of it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of cool because like, I knew for me, like I'll see some cool things all over the place. Like literally 
you know, switching gears, like we, the Bitcoin plus plus, um, I remember when you first told me like, Hey, we're going to do Bitcoin plus plus. And I remember you were saying like, we we're going to do it with, uh, Lisa and Stakamoto, um, Sean, you know, base 58. And I remember, I remember thinking like, I was like, did you come up with that name? Bitcoin plus plus. And you were like, no, I didn't. It was Lisa came up with it. I was like, boss, like, that's such a great name. And then like all this flood of like ideas came through and literally just like walking around in our little Bitcoin financial district that we're in right here, downtown Austin is like, there's like graffiti on the wall and, and it's like this, this museum that's there. And I was like, oh, it'd be cool to do something like that. Or, and it's just like having that, that, that influence to let other people influence you around you in your community is like super important. I think the more you can share, the more you can like grab ideas from each other and, and talk is like key. And I, I think when you don't share those ideas, I think Svetsky told you that, right? Like early on where he was like, people just don't have time. What, what was that thing that he told us early on? Or was that Francis that told us? Uh, I think I know what you're talking about. And I, I once was really concerned about like not giving away too much information about what we were building. And it was actually Svetsky and Francis that were there. Um, and they both concurred. And it was that like, don't worry about it. Like one, every time you have the opportunity to pitch what you're building to like present it to somebody is practice. Like you get to practice working through the problems you're solving and who you're solving them for. But that like I was for a while, I was like, even with guys like Svetsky and Alex, I was like, I don't want to tell you too much. You can't give away all the secret sauce. And they're like, his response was, he's like, dude, I'm already actively involved in running my own companies and have like a bunch of things going on with other projects elsewhere. He's like, I don't have time to come and steal your idea and go out and build it. He's like, and the people that do have the time to steal your idea and go out and build it don't have the gumption or the balls to do it, which is why they have all the time to go and do it because they already don't know how to do it. So there's literally two groups of people, the group of people that like will never be able to get it done because they just don't have it in them. And the group of people that'll never be able to get it done because they, they do the have it in them and they don't have the time because they're already doing their own shit. So just like go out there and present it to everybody that you can, because the more often you talk about it and present it and work through it, the better it becomes in your own mind. Yeah, dude. Yeah, Francis, man. That that guy, like, I think he was the That was Svetsky though. Oh honest. yeah, Svetsky, yeah. Svetsky's amazing. I've 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 taken counsel. He's also the first person to tell me though that it was gonna die though. <laughs> At the same time, in his credit, he, that was like really valuable advice. But the first advice he ever gave me about Pleb Lab was shut it down. He, yeah, and maybe he, he did that out of like, maybe he did that out of like, to like even get you further. Maybe it was one of those things where he probably did, he told you what you didn't want to hear so that way you would get it done and prove him wrong. Uh, he, he, play, he, plays whatever, like, whatever. he plays like 4D chess like that. It's, listen, don't know, haven't, haven't had the opportunity to, cool ask to ask him ask about him. it, but... Um, but yeah, man, I was, I was, I was crushed after that. You were so that. bummed. I, yeah, I, I remember you so came back. I was so crushed. Yeah. I was like completely deflated. I had a guy I really looked up to in the space who was like, I like told him what the business plan was. I like told him about my co-founders and who we were. And like his response was, he's like, yeah, man. He's like, just shut that down. He's like, <laughs> save yourself the fucking time and headache. He's like, you're like, that's not going to work. You guys are fucked. And I was just like, I was like, damn, bro, that's rough and he was like he's like i've tried to do that same thing he's like this is how it went and this was my experience and just like yeah he's like don't even like just 
save yourself the hassle. <laughs> and I left and I was fucked up, man. And I was fucked up for maybe like 48 hours. But I sat on that and I sat on it. And eventually I was just like, nah, nope. And then I saw him on like the 72nd hour at the gym with Francis. And uh, Francis gave me some valuable insight that day about some connections and some partnerships we were working on in the early days and some of the things I was trying to work through as we were trying to figure out what we were doing. And I saw Svetsky again and I was just like, yo, dude, honestly, like I appreciate your advice. I like, I, it really made me think long and hard about what I'm doing. But at the end of the day, the conclusion I reached is that I have to find out for myself. And the next piece of like, maybe it wasn't advice, but the next thing he said was when I realized I really liked Svetsky. And he was like, yeah, bro. He's like, good shit. He's like, I would do the same thing if I was you. Like, yeah. and it wouldn't matter to me what somebody said. They're not me. I'm just going to go out and find out for myself. Even if it does fail, I have to know it failed after I gave it everything I have. And he was like, respect. And I'm glad we stuck with it and didn't fold it up because. <laughs> yeah, I, I, remember, uh, I remember Francis coming in. Yeah. But I remember, I remember Francis, at least for me, like I remember Francis coming in with the bull Bitcoin guys. And I remember just thinking like, oh man, he just came in like, it was almost like a twister came in. And like, I remember we're hanging out with them and it was just like, literally like, he was asking all these questions. And then I just remember him just encouraging the F out of us, you know, he was just like, so let's go. And then, so when I talked to him in, in Miami, uh, he was, he literally came up, he like literally ran up to me and gave me a bear hug. And he's like, core, what's going on, man? You're fucking doing it, bro. You're fucking, I was like, what are you talking? He's like, blah, blah, you guys are fucking killing it. Like he started crazy. I was just like. It's like, yeah, dude. He's like, it's so freaking, it was so hard, Francis. And he's like, Francis. it's supposed to be effing hardcore. That's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> you think this shit is easy? And I was just like, no, but like, he, I was just like, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I, I was just so consumed with like all this emotion all at once. Cause, uh, but yeah, that pick me up that he gave me in Miami was like exactly what I needed to like keep pushing even further. Cause he really, he was the guy who like literally lit the match, at least in my mind for us, with Plub Lab. And then he literally came back in Miami and then poured more gasoline on it. And it was just like, yeah, dude, like Francis is a, Francis is, a, is an amazing individual, dude. He really is. He's, he's really special, really special. He is indeed. And that is why I fought so hard to keep him in Austin when he was here. I was like, bro, you can't leave. Like, we need you here. Francis has given me so many little, like, just tiny pieces of information and, like, the way that he says things and the way that he delivers the things that he says. Like, he's such an effective leader, dude. Right. Um, at least for me. Like, granted, like, everybody is a leader that, like, has their own leadership style and it doesn't necessarily equate to great leadership for everybody. But Francis, for me, has... He's... He's, he's in my top five for like influential people that have guided me on this path towards where we're at today. Uh, and when he was here, man, and I was like so certain that we needed him here to build what we were building. It was like, 
he was so powerful for me that I was like, dude, I'm like not going to be able to get this done if you're not here. And the last thing he said to me before he left my or left Austin for, for wherever he was going next, he was he like pulled me aside at Shiner's one night and he was like, he's like, dude, thank you. He's like, you're my brother. He's like, I appreciate everything you've done for me and the Bull Bitcoin team while we were here. I know you think you need me here, but my experience over the last few weeks tells me Austin is going to be just fine with the people it has here. You guys are going to do this. You're going to be fine. And I was just like that, like that delivery was so powerful that I was just like, fuck man, all right. If you think we got this without you, then I'll make sure we got this without you. Thank you.